You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Julia's not doing anything embarrassing nope. right now. She's, not she's gone again another week without Julia. However, let's be honest, wherever she's at, she's doing something embarrassing. That's probably that's <laughs> probably true, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, it is Valentine's Day week, um, so maybe something bad happened. I don't know. I haven't talked to her yet, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, we've got a fun show for you uh, today. Uh, this week, we got to uh, go out on location um, and and uh, talk to uh, a place that we've been to recently. and um, It was one of our adventures because we didn't think we'd be able to talk to somebody. And then we finally got a, we finally got yeah. an okay. So. so so I'll spill the beans since you're about to listen to it anyway. We got That's to go to true. the Hill Aerospace Museum. So Again. Yeah, those of you who listen to the show, all three of you, we appreciate it. We love you. Um, during the summer we went, we actually tried to coordinate all of this together. But because it is on an active Air Force base... Uh, we had to get all kinds of approval and do all kinds of paperwork and yeah, they're, clearances. They're, and, yeah, they're, it's not just that it's like on, it's also like run by the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. So, so. it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's it is a museum, but it is on an active military Air Force installation. Base. Yeah. So so if if we had that. We'll do that in just a minute and, and time warp to Hill Air Force Base. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. But we anyway, didn't... so it, it ended up working out. We yeah. got an interview with the curator of the museum, which is amazing. Yeah, I'm that was pretty excited about that. Yeah, it was a really great time. Um, they were able to see us. They took us back into one of their conference rooms. And I will say, as we were interviewing and the lights started turning off automatically, because <laughs> they were doing some event that night, and like it just got darker and darker and darker, and finally we finished up, and it was like pretty fucking dark in that room. <laughs> well, they said, what, 7 o'clock was our event or something yeah. like that, and we wrapped up like just before the event. Yeah. yeah. It was actually kind of convenient, because they, they do close... Um, and the gates were like only open because of the, of the, of the, of event. the event. So yeah. it worked. It actually ended up working out nicely. And the curator, a, a totally qualified person, which is like awesome. Like how else would you use your degrees if you're. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, hopefully you guys will enjoy that part of the show. Um, I don't know if we have a lot more to say up front this week, let, honestly. Let's, let's chime us in. Well, I was just going to say, with it being Valentine's, uh, you know, let's, let's just not try and keep it a secret. We went, we recorded that before <laughs> we're, we were, we're pre-recording this because it's going to be Valentine's when we're recording and that's how we do, you know, and I got, got news for you guys. This happens. More frequently than you know yeah. that we pre-record some episodes. We try not to make it so obvious, but you know, it, it is what it is. Jeremy's going to be with his wife. Chris, I'm making crispy with me. It's hard. To, it's hard to give a lot of bullshit up front when uh, you you <laughs> you're not current. So yeah, the legislature did some stupid shit this week. How about that? That I'm sure is I'm true. I'm sure that's going to be true. Regardless of what happens <laughs> next week, I'm yeah. sure that's fucking true. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully you enjoy. All right. With us this week. Uh, well, I guess we're with him. We're with him. We're not week. really. That's right. We're not really in the studio. Uh, we might is, sound a little different. Uh, yeah. We're on the other equipment. So apologies. Um, is Justin Hall, who is the curator of the Hill Aerospace Museum. How are you today, Justin? 
I am great. Thank you so much for for meeting with me here today. No, thank you. We've been yeah. uh, we've been trying to do this for a while, so so we talked about it a little bit before. So those of you listeners who pay attention, we were here two or three months ago for our Utah Adventure Week. Oh, it was more than that because it was warm. Four months ago, I don't know. It all meshes together. It was hot, so, actually. So we we cut. We tried to combine all of this, but it, it took a little while to get clearance and all the approvals so we're really happy that we're here it's been kind of a long time coming to get it uh but but we're happy to be back to hill air force base Museum. it's really cool it's always so cool driving past the airplanes when you come in we like them yeah <laughs> and it's it's just it's really crazy because of how big some of them are like you drive by them and you're like that is just massive even having been on like commercial airplanes they're just you're usually not standing next to them or driving next to them, though. So you like True. you lose the because you're in the airport reference. and you walk on the skywalk thing or you get right into it. So you really you're not under it or next to it. So yeah, you're just inside of it. Yet the, the other thing that I find strange and totally the opposite way is like uh, the flying fortresses are so much smaller <laughs> than I thought they would be from the movies and everything. They seem like they're huge. And don't get me wrong, they're big. But but when we were here before, Chris and I like the fit in those. Like, like the belly gunners? Like, no. <laughs> you got to be tiny to and have a death wish. I mean, that's not really a very armored position. Right. Um, but let's uh, let's start with you real quick. Um, when were you born? What's your birthday? You don't have to do this year. Just September 20th. Oh, so Christmas baby. <laughs> or New Year's. I, I'm sure New Year's, New Year's yeah. around that time. I, I haven't done the math, but I guess you're right. Probably right around then. Yep, yep. Yeah, we just did the math for you. Yeah, so. when it's cold outside, I guess. <laughs> well, if you're in Alaska, it's always cold outside. So. Right, right. Not always. When we were there, it wasn't cold. That's true. I tried wearing this sweater there when we were there, and I was like, that is too hot. It's perfect for here right well, now. Well, so. when we went, it was a weird, like, we didn't get any rain the whole no. time we were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody well, kept commenting on it, like, this is, like, the warmest, they were like, driest. Juno's yeah. the warmest it's been and who knows how long. So we went there in August of 2019. So right before. I got engaged on the Mendenhall Glacier. Oh my gosh. But it was crazy because everywhere we stopped, I mean, cause you know, we packed all the winter gear and everything. And we're just wearing light jackets. And of course the locals are in coats and stuff, but, but there, it was like 60s, 70s for us. That was like, I was wearing shorts man, the whole this time. Is awesome. But yeah. yeah, everywhere we went, they were like, this is the warmest weather. We've ever had and like, driest breaking all the records. Yeah, you must have brought it with you. I guess <laughs> it's not a not a good thing. I guess really in the grand scheme of things. But no. so in some ways it was cool. But I but, wanted it to be cold. So you were you were born in Alaska, mm-hmm. grew up there. No, I was actually born in South Carolina, but I moved oh, to Alaska funny. when I was about a year old. So basically the same. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's a that's a heck of a trip. To what took your parents from South Carolina to Alaska? And what made them decide to take a one year old? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was an air traffic controller, um, so had got a job. Up there with the FAA, and um, there we there we ended up, and uh, so yeah, lived in a couple small villages, Iliamna, Bethel, you know, kind of some smaller smaller towns until uh, we moved to Anchorage. Wow, that's wild. That's a that's, that's a, a hard heck, job. Yeah, air traffic controller. So you came here for college, you said uh-huh. um, off the air. No one knows that, but, uh, <laughs> but you, so you came. Now here, they do. You yeah. came here for college uh, for Utah State. Why? Why Utah State? Like, what drew you to Utah from Anchorage? Yeah, that's so. Um, I played uh, competitive soccer growing up, and um, so the year I graduated high school, um, regionals happened to be in Sandy, huh. and um, so I'd come down, you know, right as right, right around the time I was looking at colleges, 
and um, thought it was, you know, beautiful weather. Um, you know, people seem nice. Um, so really, I was just trying to get out of Alaska. Um, and uh, Utah seemed like a great place to start. But, uh, you know, once I kind of um, got to got comfortable here, just never wanted to leave. So now I have to ask, are you an RSL fan? I've been to one or two games, um, but um, as much as I liked playing soccer, watching it was never as much fun. <laughs> that is true. We're is... huge RSL fans. So. Yeah. Most sports are that way. Mm-hmm. To watch it is not the same as to either play or to be there. Because like on TV, there's I, I watch hockey on TV, but that's about the only sport that I'll watch on TV. Who's your team? Uh, Krakens, South Krakens. Oh, okay. So a new, new, new team. Oh yeah. There was 2020. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Is when they were formed. Didn't quite have the success that, uh, Las Vegas did when they first oh, started but, out, huh? But they're having a really good season so far. They are. Of course they got killed by New York earlier in the week. That was sad, but they did win seven on the road, which broke a record. Yeah. Uh, all time record for all the You were such a That's hockey good. fan in a row. I've known you for years and I didn't know you were That's such a hockey fan. That's why Heather made that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like, I like hockey, but, Excellent. um, yeah. So you coming here, I know, and I know this sounds naive, but you wouldn't think they play soccer in Alaska. I know it's probably stupid, but it's you don't like think... saying that they don't play hockey in well, uh, Las Vegas. And the sure. fact <laughs> that you were playing comp soccer and your regionals was in Utah. Right. right. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, most of our tryout stuff like that would be in a gym. Um, stuff like that. You know, we, we had a smaller window to actually play outside and, uh, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we get clobbered by the, by the teams <laughs> by down the, here yeah. usually. But, of course, um, you come here in December and you're like, man, it's so warm. It's so yeah, nice. And everybody here is freezing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Compares darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we grew up in Anchorage. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest thing, you know, the, the weirdest thing was being down here and having it be dark and warm at the same time. Because <laughs> in Alaska, you know, in the summer, you know, it doesn't really get dark, dark. Um, but, you know, of course, in the winter, it gets really dark. You get these beautiful skies, but it's cold. You're looking at it through your windshield. And um, so that was always like the weirdest thing coming down uh, to the States was, you know, at night being able to go outside and you expect to get hit with this cold. And instead, it's like this is 70 this degrees is, out still. This is so weird. <laughs> I can lay on top of my car and watch the stars. Right, right. <laughs> and you're in a city and you're like, I don't see stars. <laughs> So after college, uh, where'd you go then? Uh, so um, as I was finishing my uh, degree, I, I did a, got a degree in history um, from from Utah State. Um, did a master's there. Did a second master's um, through Johns Hopkins in museum studies. And um, so it was actually on the job board um, at Johns Hopkins that I saw a, a summer seasonal job with the Park Service doing museum work um, down in southern Utah. And, um, so was lucky enough to, to get on there and, um, w- ended up, um, promoting up to, to kind of curator, um, for the collections down at Zion and, and Bryce Canyon and Cedar Breaks. Um, and so ended up being there for about five or six years. Um, and then just kind of missed Northern Utah. So decided to trek back up here and, uh, been, been here at the Hill Aerospace Museum now for about eight years. Wow. wow. That's a, I was going to say history, not a, not a degree that you get, a lot of use out of oftentimes. <laughs> like uh, I, you're, you're using this here. is the perfect place for a, hist- a bachelor's in history, and then, like you said, you have a, two masters, one in, in museum history, which is yeah. that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so you've been here for almost a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Just just shy of that. Um, you know, obviously it's it's a job, but what is it that keeps you here at Hill versus maybe going somewhere else? 
Yeah, the you know, I, I didn't have a huge uh, background in aviation or um, um, Air Force, anything like that. Um, so, you know, just to kind of coming into it, I had this huge learning curve, um, but it was really interesting um, getting to kind of learn about um, all the different types of aircraft, the different roles they serve, um, things like that. You know, when I, when I started here, I didn't realize that that letter on the front of these different aircraft, you know, F-16, B-17, all these different things really tell you what it's used for. And uh, so I was I was really coming in and as, coming into it with a clean slate. And um, so it was, you know, really having this whole new kind of world to explore and learn about um, was really rewarding. But, uh, you know, then beyond that, you know, really the the human element behind it all, um, you know, hearing the stories that, that um, you know, about the people who flew these aircraft that maintained these aircraft, um, the, the variety of different kind of mission sets um, that, that kind of go on. You know, I think you, you, you hear Air Force and you think pilots, um, but that's really such a small percentage yeah. of um, people who are actually, you know, involved with it, whether it's a civilian capacity or, or active duty. Um, there is a lot of stories, um, a lot of human, uh, a lot of human stories to uh, to be told, and um, so you know that really keeps it interesting for me. Um, you know, I, I can be passionate about my work because I see the impact it has um, with visitors as they come through. Um, whether it's you know the the little kids who come in and are like airplanes and are just so excited, you <laughs> like know, to see this stuff, <laughs> um, or you know the older generation that you know they'll 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 break into tears sometimes, you know, just seeing this one aircraft because it, it had such a powerful impact. And so, um, really broad range of you know personal experiences and connections that people have to this stuff. That's really cool. Well, I know when we were here, whatever that was. Three months ago, five months ago, uh, they had the the plane that we got to get into the cargo plane. The one thirty, the one thirty. But the guys that were there, um, the volunteers, they were telling the stories. Yeah, I flew this and I flew that, and we did this. So it's not just like a a display. I mean, it is, but the the guys that are here, and I'm sure gals, they're helping. That volunteering, they flew those planes. Did like, you say guys and gals? Guys yeah. and gals. They He's were taking there, himself so like, back. Because that was so cool because the, the guy that was telling us about the cockpit, he's like, well, you, you can't get in there, but you can climb up the ladder and you can look in it. And so I kind of looked in it and I, and I made a comment about the bed or something. I'm like, oh, that's And he's like, yeah, trying to sleep on one of those. And it just goes off on onto this story. But I love it. That was so cool. It just makes it so much more, I don't know, real to have someone who's actually been a part of it telling you their experience mm -hmm. absolutely well and since i'm from utah um we actually live in kearns right now which is an old base and i actually used to live in an old base house we just live up the street now from it but when i went over and i was looking at all of the folks that had died over there i actually found my mom's boyfriend who was she was gonna marry and i was like looking at all of the names from kearns and i was like oh that is that was really, that was so moving to see that because I've, I've grown up around Kearns my whole life. My grandparents lived there. My grandfather was army. Um, so they traveled a little bit when my mom was a little girl and then to see his name there. And I sent a picture of it to my mom. She's like, where are you? His name is there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it's, um, easy to underestimate, you know, how far reaching I think the, um, sort of military reach goes in Utah. Um, you know, even, there's yeah, a lot of people who, you know, never served or never worked for the military, but, you know, who have family who did, you know, I mean, especially people who were, you know, grew up here. Um, they almost always have a connection in some way um, to, to that history here in Utah. Yeah, for sure. 
So I, I, I want to go back to the, the KC-130. So, um, and what you talked about earlier, the, the letters on the front, because I don't think a lot of people know that. That isn't common knowledge. I thought it was because I did a whole bunch of like Silver Patrol and I was in Naval ROTC when I was younger. Uh, and so I know a lot of that. But, you know, like the C-130, the C stands for cargo. Uh, but you can also make it an AC-130, which is an attack cargo, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing. Same exact plane, just a different configuration. Right. Put, put guns on it. Yeah, put amazing guns on it that every, what is it, like eight rounds is a tracer round that you see hit. Um, but uh, I'm curious, like there's a video in the C-130 that plays. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's not super long, but it goes through a whole bunch of the different ways the, the military has configured that aircraft over the years to do different things. Who put that video together and, and how did you guys decide to land on that for the display? Ooh, I don't know <laughs> um, is, is, is the long answer. Um, so our, our education program um, is kind of oversees that space. Um, and actually that, that entire um, aircraft is, is uh, utilized as what we call an education support item. Um, and that's what allows us to, to, to sort of use it consumptively. In other words, have people in it um, moving around, touching things, stuff like that. We could never do that with one of our, our aircraft that are their artifacts. And um, so our education program uh, leads really have kind of all the, the say in, you know, what kind of educational content um, they show in that space. And um, so... Um, I can get back to you with that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is a really good video because it really does show, you know, if, if you don't know, there's just so many versatile options. That has been a workhorse for all branches of the military for the longest time. Um, and it's, it is cool because it's chopped up. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Once mm-hmm. that thing got put into place, it's, it's there, but it's, it's cool because there's not a lot of opportunity to go into. Yeah military aircraft for the average person yeah even less so now than maybe 20 30 years ago you used to be able to do a lot more of that um and you guys open up the planes outside sometimes as well don't you yeah so um a couple times a year um we'll we'll either do kind of an aircraft of the month um from time to time where we'll just sort of do one and, and really spotlight that one um but uh typically once a year we'll open up 12 to 15 aircraft um, and kind of have our open aircraft day um, that we have a lot of the volunteers um, that you were talking about earlier that really have personal experience with these different aircraft, standing with them to kind of share their stories, um, tell people what they're looking at um, and, and really make it inviting and kind of an immersive experience for people um, that is, is unique. I mean, they may never get a chance to get in some of these types of aircraft or, or really get to see into the cockpit of some of these different types of fighter planes and things like that. Okay. So- Oh, good. No. I was going to say, how often do you get to go inside of a super fortress out there? Like, <laughs> the thing is amazing. The wings so and like big. the like the KC one thirty wingspans, uh, or not the KC one thirties, but the the refueling planes. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. KC one thirty five. Yeah, the one thirty five. The wingspan is insane on those. It's so weird going through with these guys because he like his sister lives out here, so he's been here with his kids a lot for a while, and then his military thing, and they're just telling me all of these things about these planes. I'm like. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> like, what was, what's that one with the... So, like, the SR-22, um, because when this is a... I, I've seen a lot of stuff on it, and, you know, it when it is fueled on ground, the fuel tanks just pour fuel oh, out. SR-71. Yeah, 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 that's what yeah. I meant. Um, I knew it was close. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fuel tanks just, like, pour out fuel, basically, because 
it flies so high up in the air that they close up when it gets up to altitude. And so um, it oftentimes like refuels as it gets up in the air and they try not to put as much on the, on the ground. Um, but I was telling these guys about that, uh, his daughter and, and Bree, and we walked, we walked next the to tour. It, and there was someone else telling him almost word for word what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I hate it when he's proven right. <laughs> so who decides what planes are, are here? Cause I know, some of them have been here for a long time, but some of them rotate. How does that decision made? Yeah, so um, I guess to answer that, um, build a little bit of context. Um, the where we fit in the Air Force Museum program, um, you know, we have the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force that's in Dayton, Ohio. Um, their job is to tell the big picture Air Force story. Um, we are a field museum, and so. We are resourced to really tell a specific story to Hill Air Force Base and uh, Utah Aviation. So um, all of our aircraft should have some tie to Hill Air Force Base. Um, in the past, um, you know, our collections policy were a little looser, especially, you know, when you're when you're just trying to seed a collection. Um, you know, you kind of are just, you welcome whatever you can get with open arms. Um, luckily, you know, Hill Air Force Base has, has been around long enough. It has, um, such a diverse mission set over the years, um, that, you know, we can, we can find a tie, um, with almost every airframe. Um, and so even though, you know, we were talking about the SR-71, um, that never was, you know, actively flown in or out of Hill Air Force Base, but, um, you know, here at Hill, we maintain um, all of the, the landing gear for the entire Air Force. Um, so we always can kind of fall back on that tie. But we also um, maintain the uh, photography equipment for the SR-71. And, Which was like its primary mission. Right, well, right. And we have some famous Utahns, Jake Garn being mm -hmm. one of them, who flew so many planes that there's sure. a good chance he flew it, you know, so right. <laughs> th there's a tie-in with that because we, we have a few people, some famous people from Utah that have been aviators and even astronauts. and Absolutely, yep. Then there's just random people that I know from my past life in your board, Vicki McCall. I think that was uh -huh. who it So I used to work at the hospital association and so okay. I'm walking up the hallway and I'm like, why is that? Why, why? I didn't, you know, this has been over a decade. I'm like, Oh, I know that person. And there was, there's somebody else on your board too, that I was like, I met this person. This is the weirdest thing ever. Like, mm -hmm. like you said, those ties are, it's a, it's a small little community, even though it's not that small of a state. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of benefit, um, in that, you know, we have a, a supporting foundation, the aerospace heritage foundation of Utah, um, and, um, they have a board, we kind of cohabitate with them here. And, um, so we get a lot of community involvement through, through their board, um, through, you know, their, their activities where on the federal side, um, you know, we're, we're much more tied into base and, and that kind of stuff. And so that does kind of allow us to sort of have a, have a broader reach that way. So with those, those kind of two organizations, cause you have us air force and the base and you have that outside foundation where is there like a line drawn with like ownership of some of the pieces? I mean, obviously there are things that you guys get on loan, but you know, when you get uh, like a decommissioned aircraft that ends up being a permanent piece, like how is that determined? Like who is actually the owner and caretaker of that piece long-term? So that will always come, um, into to Air Force property. Um, the foundation is part of their charter. Um, can't own stuff like that. Um, they're, they're able to acquire it. 
Um, if it's something they acquire and the Air Force says we don't want it, then they can get rid of it. But um, they wouldn't just own an aircraft that's that's on display here. Um, so not all the aircraft here are um, artifacts, part of the national collection. Um, so we have different types of, of federal property that we can classify different aircraft as. But um, the vast majority are um, accession to artifacts, which is why we have to limit, um, you know, um, accessibility, things like that, you know, take care of them. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a it's a uh, pretty um, well-defined line um, with with property. Not surprising. I no, mean, yeah, I was just curious. So, sure. so yeah. how many aircraft do you have on grounds right now that's part of the museum that's obviously. on display right obviously now. that hill but um we have about 75 um aircraft if you in and missiles drones you know big missiles icbm oh, kind of stuff patriots and stuff out there the ICBMs. Yeah. <laughs> so Minutemans, yeah. yeah what's your favorite piece do you have a favorite out there i do um so coming into this, um, you know, I, I, I kind of knew the really iconic aircraft. Um, you know, I'd seen the SR-71 before, knew what an F-16 was. Um, I, I hadn't heard as much about the A-10. And the more that I learned about the <laughs> A-10, um, the more I kind of fell in love with it. Um, so that's um, in terms of airframes, that's one I really, really like. Um, but we also recently opened a, a brand new real immersive exhibit um, about ICBMs and kind of um, their background here at Hill. And, and, and I have to say that was a real uh, kind of taboo sort of, um, you know, not really talked about um, or not really publicized um, aspect of Air Force operations um, for a long time. So, you know, learning about that mission and, and um, sort of its role in our national defense um, really kind of piqued my interest uh, for some of the content. When did you guys open that? Um, so we had the ribbon cutting in that last October. Yeah. I was going to say that cause it's at the, it's like at the back of the back building, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, remember seeing that those missiles are really cool. They are. Uh, yeah. I was surprised at how big like the Minuteman was and stuff when we went and saw it. Cause I, I, it's just a shell out there, right? There's no... Order. No, it's <laughs> like, babe, they're ready to shoot it at any second. <laughs> right. Just don't hit it with a hammer and we'll be fine. That's what I say. The scale of some of the things... And it goes both ways, like I was saying with, with the Flying Fortress. It's so much smaller that, than I thought it was going to be from movies and stuff. But then you see some of the other stuff, like the drones. Those are a lot bigger than I thought they would be. Mm -hmm. But but being able to see things for the scale that they really are changes the way you view most of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like the, the kind of the evolution of the drones that was mm – -hmm. and we were here – it was clear like there was something still being built over there in the far back back corner where those drones were. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think they were even like completely. They might on not display. have actually been completely on display. Yeah. I think they were like getting ready, but it was amazing. Yeah. So, um, we just got, um, a, a predator drone, she's year and a half ago mm -hmm. about, um, and that's the one that it's got a, a 40 foot wingspan. And so um, the wings are not. All the way out yeah. there, like taken apart next to it. Yeah, um, but we're we're right now in the process of, of building a, a fairly massive expansion um, to our museum, and so there's a few things that um, we sort of um, have in storage right now. We actually just got a, a U two aircraft um, that we wow. still have in pieces. Oh wow! And nice. then um, just um, in December, we got um, an F twenty two. 
um, that um, we'll, we'll be putting on display once the dust settles from our expansion here. Um, that should be completed this coming October. So do you guys have storage then just on base that you are able to use, like a hangar or something for some of this stuff? Um for some stuff, but it's it's pretty rare that we do. Um, we have a, a pretty good um, lot behind our, our museum um, that we're able to use. That's where our restoration facility is, um, some oh, of those cool. kind of things that we're able to, to utilize to store a lot of that kind of stuff. So what level of restoration do you need to do, or is every project different? Every project's pretty different. Um, you know, and even when we don't have a really active restoration like we do for some of these aircraft we just got, um, there's always, you know, continued, um, just kind of cyclic maintenance that we have in terms of, um, you know, corrosion repair, right. stuff like that. Um, which again, this expansion will really help. That'll allow us to bring a lot of the aircraft we have outside inside, um, to, to just take much better care of them. So what's been one of the biggest projects you've been a part of since you've been here? Um, well, I mean, the, the, this the expansion's expansion. pretty expansion. big. Yeah. That one, that one's pretty huge. Um, but, um, this getting this F-22 that we just got um, was was big because there are just so few of them um, out there in museums right now. It's it's still an active aircraft. This is an earlier model. Um, so, you know, we were really lucky to um, acquire it and then getting it here. It came from uh, Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida. Um, that was um, that was that was just about like moving a mountain because um, <laughs> I got to fly it. Right. Well, this or one tear it apart and put it on trucks. Um, we we ended up pulling the wings off, um, but uh, we were really lucky to be able to kind of organize uh, what we call an opportune airlift. Um, so they loaded it onto a C five and uh, flew it flew it to Hill. Um, oh, that's and, cool. Uh, so yeah, that we were lucky on that one. Typically, though, um, like for instance, when we moved the the U two, that one just came from Arizona, and that one just was loaded onto a truck. Just um, obviously, they take the wings off and other pieces so that it will fit and then it comes you're driving down the road is that a plane <laughs> right you right. imagine being behind that oversized that would be so cool <laughs> yeah stuck there for a lot but yeah it's taking out power did you imagine if cheap. you were like a little kid though and like you just like look at your plane <laughs> so then the pieces that you guys generally get they're not flying here and then being decommissioned no not not that uh not in my experience here we got um about again about 18 months ago we got an f-117 um which was kind of one of the first um stealth fighters mm -hmm. those just became available um to go out to museums and um, a lot had to be taken off of them before they could go out oh yeah. the stealth that was that, that was, was cool. really jonathan cool. his son he, was that was yeah, he really liked that one so does do you guys do that take all the stuff off or does is it done at a base and then it depends on the stuff that has to come off um if it's something that is um serviceable still so uh, most aircraft that are um, still flying um, will have what are called save list items um, those are things that they can utilize in in other in other aircraft as long as it doesn't um, affect too much the the aesthetics of the aircraft so you know they're not going to like take the nose cone and, and give it to us without a cockpit or something like right. that <laughs> um, but um, so for instance um, with the F117 they had sandblasted all the paint off they had taken off all the leading edges a, a big part of the tail um, so for those kind of things once we get it um, you know it's kind of up to us to um, fabricate those kind of the, the parts that were pulled, um, you know, do the repainting. Um, and again, we're really lucky to have a, a huge Air Force base right here that right. Um, sometimes we're able to use some of their expertise um, and resources to support that mission. 
other times, um, you know, we look, we look outside, uh, the base, um, you know, we're, we're able to make partnerships with, you know, some of the community colleges, stuff like that, that have composite programs or things like that to sometimes help with those kind of restorations. Um, or, you know, we just write a check, you know, work with our foundation, um, to, uh, to contract that out. That's really cool. I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan. How do you, so I, I'm thinking back to, you know, the, the bomber stuff and, and the display that you guys have. There's a really cool, it's, it's on one of the pillars that's right by, uh, the display, um, of the actual aircraft and it's got the formation flying that bombers did. That was uh, so cool. I didn't even know that there were you, that many. You formations. see those in some, especially in some of the older war movies, you will see, those formations, but it doesn't, the movie doesn't even really illustrate like the depth of the formation in terms of levels and how far out they are. And I thought that was a really great display in terms of actually providing a lot of really good information. How does, is that part of the educational group as well? Or is that something that, that you guys as curators do? Yeah. So, um, the, I guess the two big rocks, um, in the curation program are, are, you know, collections management. So again, just taking care of the collection, making sure things are safe, um, and making sure that, um, things are, you know, documented appropriately, accountability kind of things. Um, the other big one is, is, is exhibits. Um, and so, um, what you're talking about is uh, right under our B-17, um, where it's showing a lot of the formations and, and kind of complex um, sort of uh, formations that they would use. Um, that was part of our um, kind of 8th Air Force um, display that we have back there. Um, 8th Air Force was in charge of all of the daytime bombing operations um, in Europe during World War II. And... Um, when I, when I got here, we had a, a number of kind of autonomous displays about different bomb groups and um, about highlighting different individuals. But, um, you know, it didn't really provide that overarching context of all of them were part of the 8th Air Force. And um, so that was actually part of something that we, we kind of pulled together to consolidate and, and give better context for sort of where those bomb groups served, um, what their overarching mission was. Um, but again, as, as, you know, a field museum here at Hill, um, it was really important to us to pull in wherever we could find local ties. And so highlighting, you know, the individuals that, that you'll see highlighted in that display and in, in most of our other displays, um, you know, they're, they're from Utah, you know, and they grew up here and that's meant to not just, you know, kind of memorialize, uh, their achievements and stuff like that, but also to inspire, you know, the, the future aviators and stuff like that, you know, they, you know, um, you know, we have a, f- a former brigadier general who, you know, grew up right here in Brigham City and, um, you know, another, you know, f- uh, fighter ace who, you know, was from Santa Quinn. And, you know, it, I think um, being able to sort of show these stories of these people who, you know, um, people who come through our doors will be like, hey, I'm I'm just a kid from Brigham City. I could do that, too. And um, so it's, you know, it's a great opportunity for that kind of thing. Um while providing this sort of bigger picture context and educational content about here's was here's the stuff that was going on in the world. Um, so, so speaking of stories, I mean, you said that's one of the big reasons you've been here for so long. What is your favorite story of of all the stories of? Stuff or maybe that's a couple of them been here, uh, or maybe is still here. Um. So, um, one that comes to mind. Um, we have a display. One of the kind of themes that we're building into um, a lot of our displays is called kind of a local heroes theme where um, we take these, you know, individuals who are from Utah um, who who have, you know, an active duty background 
um, and, and sort of highlight some of that. And, um, one of them, uh, was a, a former brigadier general named Leon Packer. Um, he's the one who's just from, from here in Brigham City. Um, and if you look at, at the display on the back wall, you just see this kind of like mangled, you know, bronze metal thing stuck to the, to the wall on the back of the display. And, um, the story behind that, he had, um, finished flight school and was, uh, part of a bomb group flying B-24s, uh, patrolling the Gulf of Mexico, um, for German submarines. And, um, one day it was especially foggy. And, uh, so he had drove his, his car up onto the runway, um, so that B-24s as they were coming into land could see where the end of the runway was with, through, by seeing his headlights. And, uh, one got too close and the, the propeller went through the roof of his car and, um, it, it got so close to just taking his head off that it, it knocked the hat off his head. And so that, that mangled little piece of metal that you see stuck to in this display it was the, the insignia from the, from his hat. Um, <laughs> oh, and, um, so, you know, and he went on after that, um, they were part of the first group of B-24s to, um, fly, you know, across the ocean to England, um, for, for bombing operations in Europe. Um, you know, he still, his, his family still had his original D-Day maps. Um, so he was a pilot for, as, as part of that, um, but you know, it's it's funny with that generation. One of the one of the most common things I hear from their family is is they just never talk about it. And so it's it's funny that a lot of times when families will will bring in you know grandpa stuff from World War II or things like that, you know they learned a lot just from like going through their their logs or you know their stuff that you know they never heard firsthand uh, from their grandparents or parents or, or that kind of thing. And so um, you know the again you know you you collect these really cool stories. But, um, you know, part of the, the really rewarding part is um, sort of getting to engage and work with the families to tell those stories. That's really cool. That's insane. I like it's actually right by those bombers and stuff. You have the 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 old flight simulators. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those look so cool. That is the weirdest thing to think that's how they did flight simulation way back when it's just like a bag over your head inside of what looks like a grocery store like <laughs> airplane that you yeah. sit in yeah yeah those little trainers it's uh it, it is pretty funny to see because you never think about that because now like flight simulators they're all computer and they have been for you know 20 30 40 years mm-hmm. but back then there that didn't exist like right right there weren't computers really uh-huh. in anything of any sort. At least you're going to get that real claustrophobic feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the cockpits are small. I think people don't realize that about aircraft. Mm-hmm. Pilots are little people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with little people. <laughs> so um, I was surprised because I hadn't been to Hill in a long time when we came a few months ago. Um, and, and in fact, I think maybe the last time I'd been to the museum was even before the first expansion into the uh, to the other, and I had uh, never been before. Last time I was at Hill, was my grandfather was still alive, and we went on base. Yeah. But there's a, there are a ton of variations of fighter jets in that that mm-hmm. uh, that second uh, that second hangar back there. Mm-hmm. What uh, I mean, what what has kind of driven the all the different variations of fighters there? What, what's kind of the, the drive behind that? Um, I think you know one of the. One of the things that really strikes me um, 
about, you know, this, this museum is, you know, you kind of come through into, into our first gallery and, you know, you have sort of the right flyer era stuff, you know, um, you know, basically just these, these big paper airplanes. Um, and then you get back, you know, into further back into our second gallery where you start getting through, you know, Vietnam and, and modern mission stuff. Um, into, you know, the SR-71 that, you know, can get from New York to L.A. in an hour. And there's only about 50 years, 60 years that, that separate those those paper airplanes mm -hmm. from, you know, mm -hmm. this airplane that, you know, can fly in the atmosphere. And, you know, the, the pilot's basically wearing a spacesuit um, to, to, to fly these things. And um, so I think technology moved really, really fast um, until you get into about the 70s. And then, you know, now you, you know, you were talking about the C-130 and how long that's uh, been active. You know, that's, that's the, the longest active uh, aircraft that we have. Um, but, you know, F-16s, A-10, um, you know, even B-52s, they've all been flying for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now we're, we've got the F-22, we're moving on to the F-35, but, um, you know, there was just a really fast turn in, in technologically what these aircraft were capable of. And what they could do. Um, and so I think that really drove a lot of um, those different variations and things like that that you see. Yeah, that's I, I do like because um, you have the outside for people who haven't been to Hill. And I think we talked about this. You know, the outside is a whole bunch of old decommissioned, like full sized aircraft that really there's a couple you could stick inside, but you really can't stick these things inside. Like they're huge. Right. Um, but the, the, when you get into the museum proper, it is a, tr it is a trip through time and it starts early aviation and moves all the way back into, you know, the different eras of, of war and into modern era stuff. And as you kind of snake your way through, it does tell quite the story to move. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get through the first part of it and it's just like, I didn't even get a chance to look at anything, and it's been two hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot to take in. And yeah, because we I always stopped a little bit, but it took us two hours to pretty much just walk through it. I mean, stopped a little, but didn't like really invest didn't things. read every single plaque because there's i mean there's a lot there's a lot i wanted to read every single plaque but they kept <laughs> making me walk <laughs> um you know how do you guys decide when like an exhibit is uh, you know it's time to move that exhibit on or the air force says hey we need this somewhere else and you've got to fill that space how do you figure out what to fill that space with or or decide to like because I, I got to imagine it's a monumental deal to like, like if you got rid of the, the bomber that's hanging there the, and, and had to change that up, like how do you go about making that big of a change? So it's, it's very rare um, that, um, we would, that we would lose an aircraft. Um, while all of our, um, our artifacts are part of the national collection. And so the national museum can always recall or reassign something. Um, I haven't heard of that ever happening. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so it would be a, a, a very weird day, um, for, for all of a sudden for us to, to need to do something like that. Um, and that said, uh, we have, um, you know, 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag. Um, right now. So, yeah. um, you know, how to, how to fill a space hasn't been a problem we've encountered yet. <laughs> um, usually we're, um, you know, much more concerned with clearing space to make room to, um, you know, put in new aircraft, um, build new displays, 
um, that kind of stuff, because uh, we have, again, you know, almost 3,000 things in our collection. Um, only, like I said earlier, about 75 of those are, are aircraft and, and the big stuff. Um, so, you know, finding ways to sort of compartmentalize in these, these giant spaces and, um, create these kind of smaller immersive displays and things like that, that go beyond just, you know, here's a bunch of airplanes. Um, that, that is, is a much bigger challenge. So I'm also along those same lines. I am curious, you know, what if, what if Hill were to close? And I'm just curious from a, a standpoint of the way the museum operates, because, you know, that connection to the Air Force and having Hill right here is such a big part of why this museum has grown so much, I think, over the years. But Hill's been on the chopping block before. Um, you know, I think it was in the 90s. There was a bunch of base closures around the country. And, you know, Orrin Hatch was a very yeah. big reason that Hill is, has the stuck bush, around. The Bush administration mm-hmm. had and, Hill on the chopping block at one point. And, and so, and I, you know, that's not anything that's actually even being discussed right now. I mean, we just got the F-35s. It's not likely they're going to disappear anytime soon. Um, but, you know, if, if Hill were to close, what would happen with the museum space? I mean, would the Air Force recall stuff at that point or would they say, no, I can stay here. This is a good museum. Yeah. So, um, all of the um, aircraft um, would the, the National Museum would either reassign them to other locations um, or just recall them back to back to Dayton where they are. Well, that sucks. Hill needs yeah, to. Yeah, we hope it, that but. doesn't happen. because <laughs> yeah, I, I this is I'm not just trying to like to like blow hot air up your you know whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> like I've I've had this conversation with a lot of people. You know, I actually think this is the best museum in the state. Uh, in terms of actual museum, like the Hill Aerospace Museum is is so well put together in terms of the story that it tells, the pieces that it has. It's free. Like I, I, I venture to say, I mean, I've been to the Smithsonian's, for example, and it gives me, you know, other than the Definitely. fact that it's it's actually aircraft hangers, <laughs> you know, it does feel a lot like even the Hill Aerospace Museum or not the Hill Aero, but the, 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 the museums in DC, uh, in terms of, you know, the quality of the stuff that's there, the way you guys fit so much into the space. Um, so I, I tell people that a lot, like, I think it is probably the best museum in Utah and it's free. Well, we're really proud of that. Um, and, and thank you for, for saying that. Um, you know, we work hard not just to, um, you know, put a bunch of airplanes in a building, but to, um, try to organize them in such a way that they tell a, a cohesive and coherent story. Um, and again, you know, really reflect the, the people who maintained and flew and, you know, the families that supported the people who flew and maintained these different things. So, um, I appreciate it. So do you have a full-time crew of like, carpenters and craftsmen who do this stuff or are you out there with a hammer yourself or, <laughs> or who's actually doing the work to put these displays together? Yeah, um, it kind of depends. So we have a, um, a restoration program um, here on site um, that's um, full time. That's what that's one person. Um, but, um, again, you know, we've been able to be creative with how we we kind of get extra hands to do stuff so we have uh, fairly robust internship programs with um, a lot of the universities um, again that our, our foundation is able to kind of offer scholarships and things like that um, so um, in terms of you know maintaining the aircraft that we are able to do for the most part in-house 
Um, if you're talking about exhibit construction, um, that typically needs to be contracted out. We don't have the, the skill set um, and the resources to do that. We're on the federal side. We have a staff of five. Yeah, I was going to say, how many people are actually, because <laughs> almost everyone that's here is, is volunteer. So five people are actually employed officially? Uh, by the federal government. So we have um, our museum director. Um, we have myself. I'm the curator. Um, we have an education program manager. We have a restoration specialist. And then we have a, a volunteer coordinator um, who also acts as our, our kind of facility manager. Um, you know, we have uh, luxuries that, that uh, typical public sector museums don't have in that, you know, if, if our heat goes out, we call base civil engineering um, because, <laughs> you know, we are still a federal, we're on Air Force land, yeah. we're owned by the Air Force. So, um, you know, we can rely on them for, for some of those kind of things that a typical museum, you know, would have to have, have some like <laughs> Right. Um, but, um, we do also, our, our foundation supports us with some staff as well. Um, so they provide a couple bodies in our education program. Um, all of our gift shop, um, it has to be through our foundation. We couldn't have that, um, as, as a federal entity. Um, so, you know, we also have some, some support from them. That's excellent. Yeah. And the rest of it's volunteer. Like there's so many volunteers. Over a hundred volunteers. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're really what enable us to kind of keep the lights on and keep people moving through because none of them have a shortage or or do you always have plenty of volunteers? Um, it was a happy medium between the two. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever been like, okay, we, you know, we can't have any more volunteers. Um, there's always, um, shifts and, um, different activities that we can use more support on. Um, from volunteers, um, you know, we typically have opportunities from, you know, um, just kind of basic visitor service kind of things, um, providing orientation and, and information about the different things. Um, but, you know, we don't we don't expect everyone who um, comes through the door to, to volunteer here to have some really strong Air Force background. You know, you don't need to know every part of an airplane to volunteer here. Um, you know, we have our reception desk people are really just there to kind of point people towards the front door. Um, we also have people who volunteer um, in specific programs. And so um, some people, they don't want to talk to the public, but they would love to work on an airplane. And so you know, all the little old guys that were walking around when we were there were more than happy to tell you their stories, uh-huh. which was awesome. Yep. Not complaining at all. That's like I was saying earlier, that's what made it so cool is having these people who lived it, who, who that they're so passionate. It makes it such an amazing experience. Yeah. Do you ever record any of their stories or anything as they're starting to fade away? We do. Um, and some of the universities have done some really robust oral histories um, that a lot of our volunteers have, have been a part of. Um, but they also support some of our other things. Um, so, for instance, we are um, we offer some virtual tours of some of our aircraft through our website. And um, so... If we have volunteers that have um, really specialized experience with a certain aircraft or things like that, they can sort of provide voiceover and things like that um, for for those kind of features. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I got to come back to your expansion that you've been working on. When are you guys planning to open it? So Asubi, there's no major hiccups. Um, October of, of 2023 is when we're going to be looking to um so for jeremy's birthday we're coming to the hill aerospace museum (laughs) how many uh how many visitors do you guys get monthly and annually do you do you think 
Uh, monthly really depends. Um, you know, we, we have massive spikes in the summer, um, you know, lower attendance, um, in the middle of the winter. But, um, right now, you know, we, we were up to, um, about 250,000, uh, creeping up towards 300,000 pre COVID. Um, post COVID now we're climbing back towards 200,000 a year. Right that's now. a, that's a really impressive number, um, especially because, you know, it's out of the way. It's not like close to the biggest population center of Utah. Um, you know, it's a what 45 minute drive from Salt Lake, different parts of Salt Lake. Yeah. So I'm assuming you get a lot of schools. We do. Um, and, and that we track separately from our regular visitation. Um, oh, that's but, cool. um, our, our education program, um, they're either through outreach, you know, visiting schools or through having schools come here. Um, they see about 50,000 students a year. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Which so is, that's, that's fantastic. separate from the 200 to 250,000. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, that's I know, crazy. If I was a kid, this would be the best field trip. A lot better. Heck, than if you were a kid, a lot man. Than Leonardo. Than Leonardo. <laughs> that was a ripoff. Yeah. That was five dollars. I'll never get back. <laughs> I mean, there was the cool part where we got. I got to feel the engine. What was that thing that you remember? We got to put our finger in. It was an engine. I know, but what was the part that we okay. put our finger in? Oh, you were just feeling the air coming out of it. No, it was, the was like push. anyway. It was cool. I got to put my finger inside of an engine. It was just an old prop plane engine that they had on display that you could turn the propeller and see the pistons uh, move from the... the one of the guys from the museum was like, stick your finger in there. I was like, um, no. <laughs> and so he did. And I was like, okay. And it was kind of cool. You could feel it. We have the opposite problem here. We ask people not to put their fingers in things and oh, then they're like, like, yeah, you can't well, stop them. You're dealing with, I mean, especially that, especially the stuff that's that's towards the beginning, you're dealing with really old stuff and when you're dealing especially with some of the materials like i there's a piece um kind of in the center of that first area it's uh you guys have um something that was recovered from an ocean wreckage and, oh, have, and then the one way and, the, and then the way looks. it actually looks and i thought that was like just a really great display mm-hmm. but it really shows you how easy it is to just completely erode some of these pieces mm-hmm. so i i I think that yeah, it's it's tough not to have people touch stuff, um, but it's well, it's hard because you want to because right? <laughs> right. you don't see these things every. But day. the velvet ropes do help. I mean, they definitely people for some reason like that rope. They're like, I can't get past it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you, people will kind of nudge them a little closer. You yeah, know, I want to get a little. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you do what you can, um, and you know that's sort of the, the trade off. We we really try to create an immersive experience for people that they can really be up close and personal, um, get the scale of these these aircraft and and the stuff that they're seeing here. And um, you know, luckily, while you know a lot of this stuff is old, and you know, you we do have to you know limit limit access. You know, we're not dealing with you know paleontology or something yeah. like that that right. you know will crumble into dust and the will never stuff be seen is again like, i mean it's the history of aviation the old stuff is like what 100 years old yeah. right like, right and a little more robust well, and um a lot of it's open so like the the i keep going back to the flying fortress you can look up into it you can see so it's not like you're that far away from it and then like right. the helicopters the doors are open and so i mean you could definitely see stuff well, also, do you guys store stuff in some of the planes? Because, like, when we were looking at Flying Fortress, they were moving stuff around. Like, they got into the plane and got some stuff out of it. And, like, I don't know what they were doing with I think it. they were doing maintenance or something. Yeah, I don't know what it was. But. So, um, the the B-17, um, they've been doing a lot of restoration on the inside of that. 
aircraft. Oh, okay. Um, and so um, chances are they were just in the middle of, you know, either bringing stuff out or, or bringing stuff in um, to, to really create a very authentic feel to it. They've done a lot of work on that. That's another one that we have a virtual tour of via our website. It's really cool. And um, yeah, they've done a, a great job. It looks it looks phenomenal in there. That, that thing is still, it is very mind-blowing because it is nowhere near as big as you would think. Well, like from the movies where you got the two side gunners. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it looks like there's all kinds of room. But when you look in there, it's like, I don't even know how two people stand in that spot. It's so yeah. narrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. little bubble where the... The belly, belly gunner. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. worst position. Like if, if you get that, like if you're if you're in that time frame and they're like you're going to be a belly gunner, and you're like, well, maybe I should just quit. Like the <laughs> wall. Like that's w- a dangerous, dangerous. I want to quit. <laughs> uh, apparently, the the highest mortality rate were those waist gunners. Yeah, um, off the hips. Yeah, the side, because yeah. you know that's where strafing would happen, and you know it's just right down the side of the airplane. One, you're open, totally open. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the tail gunners at least got you know. Something. One eighth inch yeah. glass in front of him, <laughs> but yeah, those side gunners—they're just hanging out in the open. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, wow, technology! Like, <laughs> like what were we thinking? Like, okay, let's put this gun here and let's just set a guy next to it to fire it. Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Now they don't—they don't sit near the guns that that, that are firing. So, <laughs> yeah. So here's a here's a lame thing because you know obviously you guys are all talking about the cool airplanes but I like that you do have the section when you walk in where you can see some of the old uniforms some of the old look there's old documents um, all that kind of stuff kind of along that front wall I love looking at stuff like that like he was talking about when we went to DC like looking at just I don't know it just reminds you that all of the people that were flying this were people. They were people that were the same size as us, you know. Not us, not Chris and I. <laughs> I couldn't fly. They were much smaller. <laughs> like, looking at the, the German uniform, it seems so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> but but getting, just kind of getting an idea and you've got it, like, set up so that there's, like, little scenes and things. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. And I liked the uh, what is, and I can't remember the pilot, but they were talking about how the women pilots used to try and mm-hmm. get in and make their way into it. And the that, just even amongst themselves, how they would have to fight. Yeah. That women fighter section is really cool. Yeah. The wasps, um, they played a, a, you know, important part. Um, but that's something, you know, we're actually, um, you know, we've sort of suspended, uh, new exhibit stuff, um, until our expansion's done, but, you know, we're going to be working to, you know, a, um, sort of redo that exhibit a little bit and give, give it kind of a facelift, but integrate a lot more of sort of the, the, the female stories throughout the museum because they aren't just kind of like a, a side story. You know, they've since, you know, World War II, they've been, really been integrated throughout, you know, Air Force operations and the things that they've been allowed to do, um, you know, just keep growing and growing. And, um, so, you know, I think that that's a, an important part of, of the Air Force story and, um, you know, needs to be integrated more regularly instead of just as a like, oh, here's this side thing that uh, about women too. So that's something we're, we're working on. What do you, uh, what would you tell someone? Um, that, uh, is going to come visit the museum. Like, what's the one thing you would say you have to, you have to see this, you have to go experience this. Um, that's a, that's a good question. 
you know, what, what seems to be the, the public favorites are really the, um, SR 71. Um, there's not a lot of those out at other museums. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's so neat looking. It's so huge. It has, um, such, such cool stories. Um, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, fun stories from, from the museum. Um, we, we hosted, uh, an event a few years ago that we had a lot of, um, former SR 71 pilots and, and maintainers here. And, um, they said that a lot of the pilots would wear a big S on their, their t-shirt under their, their uniform. Because if you fired a bullet from Los Angeles and it, it kept its velocity from the second it moved out of the, the barrel all the way to New York, the SR-71 would beat it there by five minutes. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, which is, yeah, They're I mean, it's, so fast. It's, um, it's a pretty cool airplane and not one we use anymore, but um, still very cool. And um, so I think that's a, that's a real highlight. Um, and again, you know, our, our brand new ICBM display. Um, you know, we have this whole immersive that you actually can kind of get, get the feel of walking inside of a launch control center where, you know, in the movies where you see the president call and there's the red phone and the guy's <laughs> got to turn their keys at the same time, you know, that's, um, you know, we, we have a, a very nice immersive space, um, to really get a sense and, and talk about, you know, in, in real life, um, how those are manned, how those operate, um, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I guess if, if somebody had five minutes to see the museum, that's, that's probably where I'd point them. Okay. So one last question for you and, and, uh, we'll get out of your hair. Um, you've been in Utah for a long time. What, uh, what would you say is the most interesting or unique thing about Utah? Um, so a couple of the things that I like the most about Utah, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what kind of outdoor thing you like, you can find it world class. Um, it doesn't matter if it's, it's kayaking, rock climbing, you know, biking, um, whatever it is, um, Utah has it and it has an, an, an amazing, um, experience. Um, so, you know, I'm a big fan of the national parks. Um, I think, um, well, that's weird. I know. I <laughs> who would have guessed? Um, but, um, I think the other big thing is, um, you know, the, the paleontology, um, some of the natural um, history kind of stuff that's reflected at the Natural History Museum down in Salt Lake. Um, those are kind of the, the things I geek out about. When I was little, I wanted to be a paleontologist. I'd walk around and just say the word over and over and over again because I thought it was so cool. Because <laughs> in here in Utah, like, I just thought that that was something that, like, there were lots of them and people would do that all the time and yeah. it was just everywhere. Yeah, I found one in India. I know. I didn't read much about it yet, though. Um, how can people uh, reach out if they want to volunteer, donate, um, you know, be involved in, in the museum? Sure. So um, we have a, a website, um, aerospaceutah.org, um, that they can get on um, that provides information about um, all the different types of opportunities um, for volunteering, um, interning. Um, whether it's, you know, you have, uh, old stuff you want to donate, whether you wanted to make a financial contribution, um, all that kind of information is there, um, as well as our phone number, um, any of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I just encourage anybody who wants to be involved with the museum to uh, reach out and we'll point you in the right direction. Well, thanks so much for, for having us. Um, we're thanks really for doing the work to, to get us here yeah. too. Yes. Thank it's, you. This has been awesome. no, no easy task when you have that many entities involved. Um, <laughs> and the government is the big one. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Um, this was fun. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening. Um, hopefully you have a, a good week. Um, we'll not, uh, 
still do our card. I'm doing the card still. I'm well, doing the card. I was actually talking to my boss about this this interview, and I was like, I hadn't realized like the B before the plane thing was bomber and all mm. of that yeah. kind of stuff. So, like, I I learned some stuff. Yeah. Uh, like it, the F was fighter. Yeah, B for bomber. C for cargo. Yep. A for attack. Mm-hmm. So that's like A ten warthog. So that's why it, it was cool. It was cool to learn that. That's why when you hear C one thirty. Sometimes you'll hear AC-130. Attack. Uh, attack. Uh, and there's KC-130. Um, and they just mean different things. But yeah. they're the same thing. because they strap a big-ass gun on it. <laughs> Multiple big-ass guns. The AC-130 is a bunch of big-ass guns. That was, so I know we talked about it a little bit uh, in the episode when we went there and in our interview. But going through that little uh, display, well, not it's, it's a real plane, but the display plane with the video, and they showed those guns on there. Oh, they're cool. They, every eight rounds. They're not that's, messing around. Those bullets that you were seeing, those tracers, that's every eight rounds. Yeah. That's not every round. Is that, was that a fifty caliber? Uh, I think they're 30 millimeter. 30 millimeter. They come off of those typically, not 50 And cal. they can mount like four? Uh, two on each side. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> they're not messing around if no. they've got to put weapons on that bad boy. No, I mean, the thing's huge, so it can hold gigantic-ass fucking guns, and it just, like, comes in and just... Well, and that's what they transported the plane that he was saying they got back east, and they were able to take the wings off and put it in it. So it's big enough you can put, put another, a whole other plane inside. Put another plane inside of it. Yeah, so. Or tanks. Yeah. They roll a lot of tanks up in those things. Tanks, jeeps. That's when you see the like medical drops or food drops or whatever. Those are all coming out of one thirties. They're coming out of or, that. or similar cargo planes and the big crates with the parachutes. So, and they're still prop engines. I know that's crazy. They have some newer ones that have jet engines, but the pro- the prop engines seem to work just fine. So that tells you. Well, it's kind of like this: a stick shift versus an automatic stick shift. Fewer things to go wrong. An old prop engine, fewer things to go wrong than a jet engine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in one wheel of thought, maybe fewer things to go wrong. <laughs> but also, you have propellers sticking out that can get shot off. I guess I don't. I don't know how that works. I'm not in the Air Force. Um, okay, so think twice before you give a fuck is the card for today. There you go. Uh, so ask yourself this: What if that the thing that's bothering, worrying, or haunting you didn't matter? If it didn't matter, would you be happier, kinder? more productive. If it didn't matter, would you sleep better? Would you let yourself enjoy an ice cream cone or whatever else your heart desires? If so, then don't give that fuck. If not, giving a fuck means going against one of your care value, core values, then go ahead. Give that fuck. You're not supposed to never give a fuck. The point is to give him where it matters, to balance your fucks. <laughs> if fucks were dollars, would you drop that much money here? Take care to spend your fucks wisely. That's a good one. I really that like really that good one. one. You know, when we first got this box of cards, I, when Bree, Bree got this box of cards. I got it for fair. Julia for Christmas. Oh, you I got it? I thought Bree got it. We got it. him okay. this. Well, not, it wasn't for, read. well, go, those fucking dad jokes are horrible. What was the joke earlier that I, we were talking about something and I rolled out a dad joke, uh, and Bree's like, I don't want to laugh. I, I don't want to laugh at that joke, but it was funny. It was funny, but I don't remember what it was either. Anyway, I like these. How does a how lot. does a penguin build its home? <sighs> Jesus. How does a penguin build its home? I don't fucking know. Igloos it together. Yeah. <laughs> Penguins don't even fucking live where igloos are. What did the coffee say when it got to the police station? I don't know. Something about donuts. I've been mugged. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Those are terrible. 
Those are not okay. These spiritual as fuck cards yeah, so are got, growing on me. I got those for Julia for Christmas. I think some of them are better than others. Two years ago, but she had brought that other one herself. The Oracle, and I really liked the Oracle deck, but we've read all those cards. But yeah, we've, we've read them all. So hopefully you liked the episode. We really, really enjoyed going out to Hill Aerospace Museum and talking with we, Justin. Uh, we'll have to repost. Uh, well, I guess not repost. We haven't posted them yet. We'll have to make sure that we post our um, coins that he gave us. What are they called? The oh, challenge yeah. coins. Yeah, we us. didn't talk about that because that was after the interview. So yeah, afterwards he went in and grabbed us uh, some challenge coins and gave us all challenge coins uh, for coming out and having a discussion with them. Uh, don't forget, like he said, um, they're looking to have a big opening uh, oh, yeah. in October for of this year. The new section. Um, for the new section that they're building and it's a whole nother hanger. And I'm sure you'll you'll recall, you know, our three mem- our three listeners, that when we were there, we were talking about the construction and some of the displays that we had noticed were under, and it's because of this expansion that they're doing. So, so that'll be cool. It'll be cool. Um, hopefully, you guys share our episode. That's what helps us the most. Uh, you can follow us on social media is at TNU Podcast uh, and thenewutah.com for our website. Uh, we're happy to hear from you folks. Uh, anything that you want to want to tell us, we're we're happy to hear it. We don't always agree, but. We'll listen. Um, and that's it. Have a good Valentine's. Or hope you had one because it's past Valentine's. <laughs>